The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. If you'd sent it at the same time yesterday, yes. that would have been like Annabelle, exceptional. Annabelle, exceptional. Would, you, would you send the Prime Minister your question line a day beforehand? <laughs> Toby's a professional. You can't ask him to, <laughs> for special favours like this. Think he's going to go easy Sick on burn. you just because you're friends. This is Toby Manhire with Gone by Lunchtime. It's a regular politics podcast on thespinoff.co.nz with Annabelle Lee Mather. Hi, Annabelle. Kia ora and free Palestine. Uh, and good day to you, Ben Thomas. Morena. No, it's the afternoon. It's the afternoon. I'm very tired. It's two minutes past one on... The 22nd of June, 2021. This table is a little creaky. Um, we'll have to do something about that. Let's incorporate it into a bit so that when we talk about Winston Peters, we just make it sound like a crypt door opening. Very kind good. Of creaky. Sound. Very good. Very good. Can you make a note there, Tina? Just Thank you, fix that in post. Tina, for putting up with us again. She honestly loves it, though, way. Eh? This is honestly the highlight of her week. does. Yeah. Do you want to... her. She loves it. Don't need to say anything, Tina. Just keep your silence. The Winston Peters you mentioned, a lot of people wait around. A lot of people got very excited about the new Lord. But on the Gone by Lunchtime podcast, we were just... We've been hanging out for the new Winston Peters to drop. Mm. And it did drop on Sunday... At the New Zealand First AGM or convention or whatever it was, and instead of solar power, it's the original steam engine. Winston, <laughs> Winston Peters, um, rocking in, and it was like, did you? I don't know if you guys caught much of it. The it was kind of, it was like he was rummaging around in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> what have I got here? Uh, what do we got? And they just sort of pulled out some some old scraps and some mementos and curios. Maybe a lot. Oh, there's a cufflink from the uh, from from, from, from John Key. 1967. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he'd been he'd been mm-hmm. and about he'd been off the scene, almost completely invisible since the election in October of last mm. year. He'd been almost kind of it was kind of almost like a record label was managing this kind of almost performed. 
the, diff- the difficult third album. The difficult thirty <laughs> fifth album. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 then he came along, and it was mm, it was there was no sort of overarching vision. There was no grand uh, future of New Zealand tum to tum. It was his main bit. Did it was, feel like he was happy to see us? Did it feel like a little bit? There was a lot of there were well, there was a lot of my friends in the media and having a go you know that's the kind of that's what keeps him going isn't it that's the that's what keeps that steam engine ticking <clears throat> um uh Aotearoa was his main thing it was kind of like you know that's what he went for to for his main argument in the speech was all these people we called them the the name change cult are trying to change the name of our country without checking with us. It's like John Key wanted to change the flag without checking with us, and they're going to call. What did you think? Um, I thought that he sounded a bit more like a flat tire than a handbrake. <laughs> <laughs> the air slowly whistling its way out. Um, well, if you do too many handbrake. Turns that's going to happen, isn't it? Your tyres are going to eventually bald tyres. Mm. Mm. Um, oh, I, th- I think um, certainly within Maori dim, um, his uh, um, speech came as a an unpleasant surprise to rail against the use of te reo Maori he pua pua, strange kind of issues that are really kind of focused on identity politics and nothing really much about the economy or any of that stuff. And it it just felt weird because, you know, there's two other parties who actually did manage to get elected back into Parliament who are able to cover the kind of race identity issues stuff um, in a much slicker fashion than New Zealand First now, um, particularly David Seymour. So for him to try and mine that that vein um, surprised me instead of focusing on on his sweet spot, which is more about, you know, catering to the oldies, you know, health care for the kids, the more kind of economic focus, railing about John Key, who hasn't been in Parliament for ages, Pua, all of that stuff. It just felt like a, a kōrō who was out of ideas. There's a lot of competition for the um, uh, right-wing populist separatism rhetoric space, Ben Thomas. Um, did it surprise you that he decided to make his claim to that relatively shrinking, I would have thought, vote? I feel like that would be kind of like, you know, being surprised that, what is it, the scorpion stung the frog or whatever. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> Winston Peters' common refrain throughout the, the, the grab bag of issues that he has addressed over the, few, you know, over the years is that things have changed too much and he would like them to go back. Probably to sometime around when he started politics in the 70s, maybe a bit earlier to when he was a he, kid in the 50s. He did invoke the 50s and 60s in the speech. You know, yeah, you know I mean? and and that's really what he's appealing to. You know, he's he's not saying, you know, it's not, it's not so much, you know, I don't like Aotearoa. It's like, that's not the name of the country that I grew up with. 
Um, and and so he's appealing to this idea that things are changing too fast and have been for the last 40 years, mm. um, maybe for the last 70 years since the war. Um, and so I, I don't think there's, that's, there's any sort of surprise in that. You know, New Zealand First is functionally a nostalgia party, um, often for an imagined past now. You know, you're getting to where even the oldest voters, you know, could barely remember the times that Peters is harking mm. back to. It's this Chris Trotter sort of, um, you know, utopian I- idol of 1970s New Zealand as the happiest place on earth with mm. the, the men in the kitchen, uh, the women in the kitchen, uh, the men in the lounge, the Māoris out the back playing 10 guitars, um, <laughs> and everyone was happy and got along. Uh, there was universal welfare, no one was on the DPB because you couldn't get divorced and the pill didn't, wasn't available. And <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the happy days version of history, isn't it? You know, because mm. happy days was a sitcom about the 50s that was made in the 70s and 80s, so it already had that romantic tinge, and it feels like it's at that many removes in terms of the idea of the New Zealand idyll. It, it's so, it's even, it's so much even further than that, you know, I, I saw somebody saying that the election of Jacinda Ardern kind of put to bed uh, the 1980s the, the spectre of the 1980s and the Rogernomics reforms and the opening up of the economy and the removal of um, that sort of planned economy um, that ha, ha, you know has been around for that has sort of hung over New Zealand politics like shadow and and all Labour leaders probably prior to Jacinda Ardern have grappled with that legacy you know even though it's 30 years ago to some extent um, and and Peter's. Peters is the only person who's actually saying, we don't want any of that. <laughs> we just want to go back, bring back. Although what was interesting was he was actually talking about opening up the economy uh, and bringing people back. And he actually, he acknowledged in his speech and said, you know, a lot of people probably don't want anyone to come back in. <laughs> and then sort yeah. of grudgingly sort of acknowledged it was necessary yeah. for tourism and, and, and business. Um, so it really is playing to that sort of small New Zealand, kind of like little little Britain, um, mm. provincialism that actually we've seen a bit of an uptick in uh, since COVID. I thought one issue that he raised, which is kind of an interesting debate that's going on in Te Ao Māori in a much more nuanced way than he presented it, um, is the use of uh, Māori names for... Māori government departments mm. and, you know, he railed against he waka kotahi and that sort of thing. But there is actually a kind of a, a deeper discussion at play and it's more about um, using the, these names without actually sharing power with the party to whom they belong, that they become a bit of a facade as being a bicultural entity when actually there's still a lot of work that needs to be Mm. done internally. But, you know, if Winston wants his legacy as a as a um as a descendant of Ngati Wai to be, you know, trying to cancel Te Reo Māori at a time when um, so many people around Aotearoa see the incredible value of our language. And that's a, that's a pretty lame legacy to leave. In terms of whether he can get back, um, you know, like you say, Act and National have got that space. I think Seymour is a much bigger threat to him than the National Party is right now. Absolutely. And the thing about David Seymour is that he can kind of deliver 
similar messages, but in a way where you don't feel like you're just getting razzed up by your old angry uncle. Like he can actually do it with an element of like youthful charm and intellect, whereas with Winston it just feels like you're getting growled up by Coral. Well, did you, did you see Seymour's tweet where he, I think he, he quote tweeted that Peter's quote about, you know, who decided the name of our country was Aotearoa. And he said, well, Winston was in Parliament when the Māori Language Act was passed and he voted yeah. for it, so he did. Kupe, yeah. um, actually. <laughs> I, I, I think we all understand it was kupe. And think, interestingly <laughs> enough, there was, there, was a, there was a thing, It was I think it was last year or maybe the year before, it was back before MAGA hats had become completely verboten. And uh, Seymour held a fundraising event, or just a speaking sort of thing, and he called it the Make Aotearoa Aotearoa Great Again mm. uh, meeting. Mm. And it was, I think it was the most hated thing by in New Zealand politics because it was <laughs> the, the people who like hated Donald Trump Just thought that he was appealing to the alt right. Yeah. But then all of the conservatives yeah. were like, I don't even know where Aotearoa is. <laughs> I don't like. <laughs> I did. Th- I think. I think it's to, it's to steal um, a joke that Philip Matthews made. But one of the advantages, if they did embrace Aotearoa, was that then they would, their name would then be AF. So they could, for example, have his slogans "Patriotic AF" or <laughs> "Principal <laughs> AF." You know, which I think would bring in a bring Nostalgic in some new voters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the question. You know, can he come back? The, the, one of the questions which he, in interviews the following day, wasn't totally committed on is whether or not he, at the age of 78, which will be in 2023, can lead the party into the next election because, you know, look, I mean, even the most uh, sprightly, um, puckish survivor of New Zealand politics, 78, that's... Can you do it, it is, but it's also a state of mind, eh? Because if you look at Bernie Sanders, for example, he's way more like onto it and progressive and youthful than what Winston is. So, I mean, I get that. I get the um, the age thing, but actually, it's not even about age with Winston. It's about attitude, and I think people just are a bit hoha with those sort of. Um, dinosaur fakaro around things like Te Reo Māori. And if, if uh, look, there's definitely a constituency for that sort of thing, um, but whether he But not 5% resort- worth, apparently. Yeah, well, not, not 5% worth when you're fighting over it with ACT. And um, when you're coming out of being part of government when you've been Deputy Prime Minister. Yeah, and, and that's why, I mean, he'll be if he decides to campaign again, he'll be in a much more comfortable place for him this time, which will be just oppositional yes. and critical. It was interesting when he talked about Jacinda Ardern in the, in the, in, in the speech, he specifically said, I don't want to attack Jacinda Ardern. You know, it's a bit like you mentioned with the opening up. He's seen the numbers, the poll numbers. He was there with her. It's a tricky position. And so it's a bit handbrake, it's a bit this, it's a bit the other. What I kind of thought in terms of was just the way the the way the speech was put together. What was the narrative of the speech overall? Mm. Well, nothing mm, really. Yeah. And, you know, going for that old, you know, <coughs> uh, the Māori language is coming in seemed a bit 
a bit flat to me. Now, you obviously I, had a bit of help with it because it used the word meta-narrative. Did it? Obviously, yeah. That's a new one for Winston. Also, someone, so. someone had used the Control-F function to find how many times the word Aotearoa appeared in the Climate Change Commission <laughs> report, which might not be within uh-huh. Winston's skill set. I'm not, I'm not sure. That yeah. <laughs> Tweets about Aotearoa, <laughs> Maori name for New Zealand. I, I thought it was interesting that Ron Marks wasn't there. It was, he was, it was, was the neuromark. Very, very good episode in your in your new series from Ron Mark. We'll just plug that Thank again, you. shall we? Um, Thank you. I wondered though, and we're going to you know we're going to talk about the the whole um, uh, electric car rebate scheme and the, the the Ute debate and all that sort of stuff, which you mentioned along the way, but just in passing on this kind of mm. laundry list of things, is what if I mean if he'd given a speech about how Heartland New Zealand has been abandoned. You know, that sort of stuff. And he wraps into it about the 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 we have a we have a leadership now which has failed to understand the reality of ordinary life in New Zealand is what New Zealand then you rock on with your nostalgia. Mm. Or like some some stuff, big policy things like we're gonna bring back delivering milk to your door yes. on a petrol yes. truck ute well, thing. Well, pe- pe- and we're going to pay so kids real low wages <laughs> and you can have full cream milk at your, in your letterbox for the token. Like, that's, I could get on board milk with that. Milk tokens. I mean, it would be let's good. Let's get a bit of that. Super, 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 super gold card yeah. with milk tokens. Yeah. Peters needs to actually get, you know, put his money where his mouth is in terms of sort of returning to New Zealand's glory days. He should say, look, climate change, ETS, we know how to fix this. Carlos Days. Carlos Days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And one channel. You we'll go back every, to one every, channel. Everyone gets their Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday sticker and they can't drive that day. <laughs> it was good enough for Muldoon. <laughs> it's good yeah. enough for us. Um, let's talk about Utes. One of the the scheme which was announced uh, weekend before last <clears throat> by Michael Wood, who is now the minister of the minister of releasing the handbrake, I think, and <laughs> half of the things across his portfolio he's doing, he's pushing through positions that were untenable with uh, the handbrake of New Zealand First at the cabinet table. Uh, the scheme uh, means rebates up to eight thousand six hundred twenty five dollars when you get a new EV, full electric vehicle. Plug in hybrids get a bit if you get Im- imports. You get a bit less than that. Annabelle, you're going to buy an electric car? Um, yeah, but once my car is, my tikanga is that I just drive my car until it's absolutely munted mm-hmm. and it can't go anymore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I think is the preference before changing over to an electric That's vehicle. That's the best is environmental it, solution. Yeah. yeah, to just drive your drive car your until car it's munted. Right. But yes, definitely I'd love to have an electric vehicle and a big fat rebate. Yes, please. And the, uh, but not a yellow one like Mahi's one. What's what's is it the shade of yellow or is it? I mean, he's got a very bright yellow car that you mm. can see on our um, on our stories of Tainui oh, yeah. Doko. It's quite confronting. It's <laughs> it's quite good for safety reasons having a bright it's very good yellow for vehicle, safety because they don't make reasons. a lot of noise, right? And so that's right. So you really want to catch the visual field mm. of you know. Indeed. Then the other part of it is that they. Um, it's going to be cost neutral as the plan because as of January 1 next year, the high emitting vehicles will be uh, will, will have a, an extra uh, tax, not a tax, <laughs> an, extra, <laughs> an extra fee lumped on top of them. Um, and that has then 
taken us down the road of you know your old kind of culture war type stuff and the whether or not the ute is the wedge issue whether or not the ute is the light bulb of 2023 and uh Ardern described at one point that she did she talked about people who have legitimate uses for utes, which was, of course, absolutely jumped upon by both National and, and ACT because, of course, it suggests that, that, some pe- that people with utes are illegitimate use. And so I imagine on your Ford Ranger, your double cab Ford Ranger, as you rip through the streets of Westmere, you're going to write proudly deplorable, proudly <laughs> illegitimate on the side, Correct. I see. I have a lot of sympathy for the government's position in this. Um, I I used to live in um, beautiful St Mary's Bay in Auckland, which has these very narrow sort of you know former horse track streets. Mm. Uh, there's no off street parking. Were your neighbours with Winston? Uh, no, he was. He's closer to the water in Jan's house. Mm. The the people have got a pool, um, and. And it's fucking hard to get through the streets when they're, you know, there's not enough room for like two Holden Colorados on each side, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and you know, if you go to the supermarket and you just scan, um, you know, in, in the sort of leafy suburbs where I go, it, you know, it's actually, it's crazy how big people's yeah. cars are. Yeah. You know, people don't need, <laughs> um, so on a personal level, I have a lot of sympathy for the Prime Minister's position or Julianne Genta's position that people who have giant utes but aren't farmers or tradies generally just have like small dicks. But, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it becomes very difficult to sort of clearly delineate between these things. You know, well, you could ask. You could you could ask, yeah, that's all right. Um, Good idea. Air, airports, yeah, those airports <laughs> screening. <laughs> we just double, put them in each car dealership. Double, double cab, you donors through part C, please. <laughs> um, and even a lot of tradies don't actually need them. You know, you go past building sites and there's all these twenty year olds who don't even have their own tools and stuff. I've never seen you see these things. You can't see. You're trying to drop your kid off to something and you can't see to the left because there's some massive mm. fucking monstrous Ute in front of you mm. and it has never seen a speck of dirt in its life, mm. that thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you know, People say, oh, you know, all these cheap secondhand cars that we bring in, like Suzuki Swifts, you know, have like low safety ratings. Well, of course they do. Most, most <laughs> suburban housewife cars will run them over like a fucking Kentucky monster truck. <laughs> like, you, know, you don't need to be fitted out for a Mad Max fucking busting out <laughs> through, through the dystopian, like, oil village just to drop your kids off at ballet, for fuck's sake. Like, I just... <laughs> So, so again, we we return. I'm very sympathetic <laughs> to Jacinda. Actually, I'm not sympathetic to Jacinda out because Clark doesn't need a Ute either. Um, Has Clark got a Ute? Yeah. This does he have? Does he own a Ute or does he just use a Ute? Well, he's at least given the use of a Ute, yes. probably for his boat or something, for well, fishing or whatever. But I mean, is that legitimate? Is it Who legitimate? Knows? Well, you've got to put a lot of um, to bring together the um, metaphor you had before. You've got to have somewhere to put your tackle. <laughs> 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 I I am not a supporter of a socialist revolution, any kind of armed uprising. Um, but if there was one, the first thing that I would want done is 
all of these suburban wank wagons being taken <laughs> off their owners and distributed to my friends down on the East Coast, Hawke's Bay, Tutuweta, Bay of Plenty, who actually need them largely to be able to pull me out when I get stuck <laughs> in a ditch. <laughs> And your Suzuki Swift. <laughs> a very legitimate use. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know if we got very far on the politics. I think we yet, solved that. No, that was good. Uh, we're going to collectivise the Utes mm. and we're going to relocate them. Um, we'll be right back to discuss vaccines. Vaccines. The rollout of the vaccines, the Pfizer's, to the hoi polloi, the general public, uh, was announced last Friday. Uh, people aged 60 and over from July 28, people aged 55 and over from August 11, uh, and then the youngsters, that's us, all people aged over 16 um, from October, Ben and Annabelle. Uh, the, the Prime Minister celebrated that announcement by getting her first dose uh, which she said wasn't very painful. And that was intended to, I suppose, calm some of the concerns about the rollout, whether it was happening fast enough, whether the doses were arriving in time. Do you think that that has been effective? Is the, uh, you know, the, 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 the reality is that we are still the slowest in the OECD, uh, yet we are running ahead of schedule. One of the things that, you, you know, National Party and Chris Bishop particularly are trying to bang away at this without falling, without being left to be stood, stood accused of being a, a, a hater and a wrecker of the government's... Hater potatoes. The government's uh, wonderful response to COVID. Um, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? You don't feel as though there is <clears throat> still much public alarm I think that a lot of that has got to do with the fact that we haven't had an outbreak for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, Annabelle, is it a hot political issue or is it just fine? Well, I mean, it doesn't seem to be a hot political in terms of the amount of discussion that I hear um, about it. And I guess, as you say, that's because we don't have community outbreak it does seem like it's slow. Mm. Um, I know my mum, she's nearly 70. She still hasn't had her shot. And then I know other people that have. And then on top of that, apparently, there's some issue where um, the DHBs, they you know they want them to be on track, but they don't want them to be ahead because, mm. I don't know, something to do with... So I don't know. They don't want to... They don't want to... Go, they don't want to have to... Slow it down, I think, is the you know the the the, the, the issue with the time. And is it, it something to do with the number of vaccines that are actually here as well? Yep. That if you get too far ahead, I don't know. Yep. There's a million coming like in that. July. We need good oppositioning on it, though, to just keep everyone on their toes. There hasn't been particularly transparent information from the government. Um, you know, there was the was the panic about a week or so back when my old colleague Matthew Hooten wrote a column saying that um, it probably shouldn't have stated as fact that we were going to run out of the vaccine in three days. Um, oh, but right, at, but right. at the root of it was that the government was giving different figures in different places, um, which you know at this stage doesn't really seem to be good enough. You know, we've seen that a lot of uh, frontline border workers still haven't been vaccinated. 
there doesn't seem to be any urgency, and, and part of that is down to the fact that the public's not demanding it. Mm. Um, mm. And I, and it's, it, I feel like we're actually almost at a bit of a crossroads um, for New Zealand in that people, I think it's pretty inarguable, we've become pretty insular as a country since the pandemic. You know, part of that is, is a function of there being a global pandemic, of course. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether people start getting a little more um, worked up about rejoining the world mm. once the US is vaccinated, once the UK is vaccinated, um, if Australia ever gets vaccinated. Um, and we and instead of the comparisons of, oh, everyone else is in lockdown and we're having 60,000 people at 660, it's like, well, we, we can't see 660 because they're playing overseas. Lord's touring the US, which has reopened. Um, you know, T Tina's back recording Gone by Lunchtime because Jonathan disappeared somewhere. And, it, you, you know, I think at that point, you know, will people say, well, we don't need the rest of the world anyway. We're happy to become this hermetically sealed lost city of Atlantis in the South Pacific. Or will people start going, what the hell? <laughs> Where are our vaccines? And and I certainly think there is, the pressure is growing on that, but it's still small. You know, it's mm. still the overall, the it's overall a, sentiment roar, is pretty is clear. And there are not people, I mean, I was at an Australia tourism event last night and, you know, they're, they are having to work hard to try and convince people to, to go to Australia. And you sort of understand that um, with when you see that how often there have been pauses in different parts of the Don't go to bubble. Australia, everyone. We're I'm not talking to them. We're not talking it. to them, no. Oh, what are we? Oh. No, we're not. We're not Can Ben go to, to see Stay his mum? Stay here. Go to Rotorua. Can Ben go to Australia to see his mum? We'll consider it. Uh, it's a long process, but if, if, if there's a if there's some kind of pause or travel disruption, it won't be the first time that I've like lived parasitically in my f parents' house as an adult. So. <laughs> <laughs> writing, writing comments on the internet, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> so set myself up in the backyard with some some VBs and <laughs> a Vodafone Australia SIM card, and just. <laughs> I think because the government did such a good job of of the COVID response, that there's high levels of trust. And, and while I think everybody would like to have their um, their vaccination sooner rather than la later, I think there's, there's high trust that it's going to happen and there's not that sense yeah. of urgency because we don't have it. Interestingly, I think in Te Ao Māori, there's probably more concern at the moment around mental health services. Hmm. Um. As, and, and, you know... And a lot of support for the stance Mike King has taken. Yeah, well, that's, and there's also been, you know, a series of stories this week in the Herald yesterday and News Hub as well about the um, number of beds, mental health beds, and clearly the dragging of the chain. They just have, things haven't happened in the mental health area. We should probably get into that at greater length. It's, it's that delivery issue again. You know, there's the $1.9 billion headline figure in that first uh, much vaunted wellbeing go budget, and none of it's got out the door. Well, I think um, that's part of Mike's frustration, eh, is that he's actually got the infrastructure in place to, to be able to start delivering immediately. Um, you know, they've got all the councillors signed up, you know, on board, ready to do it. They know the know that need the help and all of that. And um, it's just not enough money, not enough support, it's, not, it's, a, not enough urgency around it. It's, it's a good example of where, you know, the government's much lampooned sort of addiction to working groups kind of came a bit unstuck. 
in the sense that the minister clearly didn't have a very good idea himself of what he wanted to happen in that space, hadn't really done the work in opposition, um, and it at the point at which there was this huge amount of money, suddenly fell yeah. to the Ministry of Health, who, yeah. touch wood, will maintain their undeserved reputation for competence that they earned during COVID, but is, is actually a bit of a basket case ministry. And, you know, and, and none of that big headline figure has actually trans... Well, you know, there's been a few pilot programs. There's been a lot, a lot of work done um, on very moderate cases you know now you can go to a, a lot of gps and you know get a couple of sessions of counseling learn some coping strategies that sort of thing but in terms of you know the the really you know high needs or even uh, kind of medium mm. needs mm. not a lot's happening and also like getting to our rangatahi because um you know if you get in while they're young and stuff um makes a big difference in their 30s but the the headline that's literally just come through on my phone is just five new beds and 1.9 billion mental health mess. <clears throat> yep. Yep, and I think everybody, I think I think it's a, enough of a kind of epidemic of its own that Absolutely. most people know someone or know someone who knows someone who has it at the sharp end in some way and it's, you know, it really, there mm. is absolutely no manifestation of change in terms of in terms of that that rollout let's talk about Wellington because Ben Thomas is always eager to talk about Wellington um, as the uh, as the, 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 the Wellington has paddles and it has Ben and Wellington this Thursday the council is voting on the spatial plan uh, which is a little bit like um, Auckland had its unitary plan and it addresses sort of housing density in a city that is and it faces a very real housing crisis, homelessness challenges, uh, and the there is now the, the the urban development plan. Is that what it's called that Phil Twyford had put through, which puts which re- requires councils to free up national, certain national policy of, statement. Yeah, national, yeah. Um, and um, the it's gone back and forth the spatial plan, but basically it seems like the the, the council planning staff have in response to uh, objections on the part of owners of heritage heritage villas and the so Masauruses. forth. The um, the or as, 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 as some will call them, NIMBYs. Um, uh, they've, they've sort of wheeled it back a bit and created a, a, a lot. And, and anyway, so the vote on Thursday will be a test. Some are saying about whether or not the council is really committed to changing the reality of intensified housing in the city. Ben? Very good piece about this on the spin-off oh, yes. today. The Neil Jones piece. Uh, yeah, by my uh, <coughs> my colleague, my colleague? Comrade. Uh, associate Neil Jones. Um, he, yeah, he, he points out, I, I think the key, you know, he makes a very good and strong case for why the council needs to take more action, Mark more areas is open for development. You know the, the massive infrastructure problems, and and more importantly, the huge housing deficit that Wellington faces. Um, it's become completely unaffordable. When I moved down to Wellington about two thousand and eight, you know you got extremely good deals compared to Auckland. Mm. Um, now I think rental rentals are higher. Uh, in Wellington than they are in Auckland um, because there just isn't enough stock. There aren't enough houses being built. Um, And that's because of, you know, all of these sort of entitled sort of 
you know, weird yes minister kind of caricature uh, bureaucrats and Victoria University academics who don't want anything to ever change from their, you know, fucking print of the Auckland Oriental Bay Hills that they have hanging in their Airbnb. Well, that's a caricature in itself, though, isn't it? I mean, yes. the, 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 the other reality is, yes, of course, there are mouldy old villas and there are some that are but in disrepair, but there's also a lot of beautiful architecture in Wellington that, that defines the character of the place, you know. And uh, so is, is it not reasonable to try and find a middle ground where you protect certain kind of belts or pockets of heritage uh, housing while clearing other areas so that you can do more intensified work? I tend to be a bit of a property rights person about it. Um, if you want to keep your beautiful heritage home, mm. you can. And then mm. if you want to sell it to somebody who will keep it as a beautiful heritage home, you can do that as well. Uh, I just think that there's an interesting kind of relationship between this kaupapa and the next one we're about to talk about, which is Putiki Bay, mm. and how, you know, um, a section of New Zealand society rails against the idea of of development, you know, when it threatens colonial relics like rotting um, houses in Wellington, you know, for the purpose of being able to to create um, housing for more New Zealanders. And then you have um, an issue like Putiki Bay on Waiheke Island, which um, is a pristine, beautiful bay um, where Waka literally, for the last thousand years, boats of all shapes and sizes have been able to to land safely, and it's the home to Kororo, little blue penguins, um, the landing place of the Tainui Waka where it was um, relashed at Rangihoa and the the bay is named um, Putiki after Te Putiki o Kahumata Momoi. Um, that's not considered something worth protecting because um, you're about to build a massive marina there that the community doesn't want. And it, it kind of harks back too to the whole Iwi Kiwi campaign that Don Brash ran, yeah. whipping up fear that, you know, Māori were going to fence off the beaches and charge New Zealanders to go for their, you know, summer dip. But actually the reality of how iwi kiwi works in New Zealand is that rich people get to usurp um, amazing spaces like an entire bay. It's going to be about 10 acres of development on the sea um, at the expense of of ordinary New Zealanders, Māori and Pākehā and Tauiwi alike, um, to build marinas for rich pricks that don't want to get their boat, their shoes wet when they arrive on Waiheke. It's disgraceful. <laughs> and that, that's is that is that kind of your Tūranga Waiwai as well, that, that, that part of Waiheke? Um, I'm not mana whenua, I'm not Ngāti Pāwa, it's Ngāti Pāwa yeah. whenua, but, um, but it's where I grew up, grew up there, it's yeah. where I sp- and spent my entire childhood, it's where, um, it's definitely where my heart is and it's uh, it's so sad to see such a special place being vandalised when people have been able to use it and enjoy it literally, um, you know, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But, you know, the the Minister of... And, and it just goes to show that when it comes to these issues, it's just a battle of attrition. Whoever's got the it's most money will win. court process, isn't it? Yeah. Quite, there was, it was approved... There was, it, the council, I think, five years ago or so gave approval and um, uh, then 
It's been through the courts, environment through court, the environment court, court, court. It's now it's at the Supreme Court now or something, I think, even. I, I think the I last think the one. the Supreme Court gave it the okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but the Minister of Conservation has it within their powers to be able to overturn a decision like that. It's happened once before with um, Chris Carter with the proposed marina at Whangamata. It ended up being overturned by the Court of Appeal, I believe, because there'd been some procedural um, flaw, but it's definitely within the purview of the Minister of Conservation to be able to overrule. And Chloe Swarbrick is is one of those who's opposing the marina development, isn't she? She is, Local MP. Local MP for what way? Get it, clone get, money. Um, so, so you're 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 squarely with the penguins on this. I'm with the korora all day. Mm-hmm. Ben, do you have any strong thoughts about the penguins? Uh, I think the most important thing to note <coughs> on this and the previous issue, which is the spatial plan, the point that Neil made was that councils are actually structurally not set up to do anything except. Uh, support the interests of wealthy, older mm-hmm. landowners. Um, you know, younger people, more transient people, people who don't own their own homes are less likely to vote. Um, they're less likely to be invested in it. The consti- you know, local government is structurally set up to benefit people on Waiheke Island <laughs> who have their own boats, yeah. <laughs> who have their own boats from which will roll yeah. off a fucking SUV like the tanks at Normandy <laughs> <laughs> up the road to the batch. <laughs> and, you know, uh, this is why we need to abolish local government, obviously. <laughs> and, you know, we... we, we but, but I'm quite serious about that. There is a, you know, there's the review that Nanaya Mahuta has commissioned into what the role of local government should be. Um, and, you know, they have to seriously start thinking about actually just dismantling the whole thing. That, that solar power video was shot on, on Waiheke, wasn't it? Was that, is there, was that a, 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 a sort of subversive Kennedy Point protest, protest, I hope so, protest Lord. Go down to Kennedy Point, Lord. Um, so in You'll probably get arrested. Be careful, girl. <laughs> Take some legal support. <laughs> in conclusion, collectivise the Utes, uh, shut down the councils and save the penguins. One more thing very quickly. On Saturday, this Saturday at 5pm at the Auckland Town Hall, kind of interesting historic moment, there will be a formal apology, Annabelle Lee Mather, issued for the dawn raids. Why is that such a big deal? Um, Well, it's a big deal because it, you know, devastated a lot of Pacifica whānau who came over here answering the call of of New Zealand when we needed their labour and then we turned around and and booted them out when we didn't want them anymore. So ka nui te mihi kia koutou ngā uri o te moana nui a kiwa um, um, mō tō koutou kaha u ki tēnei kaupapa. Congratulations to all of the whānau who are affected by this for finally getting the, the apology they so richly deserve. Kia ora. This is Gone By Lunchtime. Catch you next time. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.